0: An unsteady t- portions of the following program may be pre recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: There is a judgment greater than. the only shelter from the coming storm.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Just over two weeks ago, I was carrying a heavy lamp up the stairs to my wife's studio. I lost it, I lost my balance and I came crashing down that flight of stairs landing on my right hip and my right leg as well as the accompanying bruises that you would expect. I lost, as I lay there, all my self-confidence. It was gone. I've said that to several people and they have said to me, oh, no, pastor, don't lose your self-confidence. You have to have self-confidence. No, I have to have self-confidence like a toothache. It is not righteous. It's unholy. I'm going to share with you not only the journey I'm on and the healing process I'm on, I'm not going to a doctor. I'm not against doctors. But why would I turn against my doctor who has taken care of me so magnificently for so many years? Jesus is the awesome healer. So it's not that I want to be contentious. I just know who my healer is. And I'm going to share with you today a part of a story of C.G. Bevington. Now, some of you may say, well, pastor, we've heard you do that story before. Well, don't be arrogant. Humble your heart. Listen to what the Lord wants to say to you today. If you have not yet been broken, and I have to tell you, I was asked this morning in the early hours, I was awake. I was miserable. I was in a lot of pain And the Lord said to me, would you rather have your body healed or your soul made holy? There was no question. Lord, I said, it's not healing that I want. It's my soul made holy. It's the power of your presence that would come and flow in me and bring revival for the Precious men and women that I love so much. You who are listening. Now, we have a few anti-intellectuals who come and make smart aleck remarks. But I don't mind them. I love them because the fact that they're making such hostile remarks tells me that God is working in their soul. Whether it's a man who's a a gay man or just arrogant men and women. And oh, believe me, yes, they show up on this page. But I know why they show up. Because God is calling after their hearts. So let me share this story. You'll see why the title of, of this broadcast is Broken broken, and I've been broken, and I'm in a process of of healing, and you're going to get to watch as God does that, first in my spirit, and then in my body. This man, C.G. Bevington, is a holiness evangelist. He preached in the beginning of last century. He was mainly in the southern part of the country, southern Ohio, Cincinnati, Chattanooga. Well, here it is. It was in the fall of the year, and it was quite chilly. On the second day of work, I was polishing the stovepipe while standing on a cloth bottom chair. Not wishing to soil the cloth, my feet were on the outer edges of the chair. I was rubbing with all of my might, stretching and reaching as high as I could when the chair turned over. I fell heavily, striking my, my side on the chair. The poor chair was completely smashed, and I just lay there among the bits and pieces for some time. I don't know how long it was, but when I regained my senses, the building was spinning around me at a tremendous rate, and I felt very sick. I tried to get up but could not, so I fell back on the floor and tried to pray. I was in such misery, I could hardly even do that. Finally, I did feel a little better, and with the aid of three other chairs, I was able to pull myself to my feet. The pain in my side had me gasping in agony. I wondered, what in the world is the matter? I found that putting my hand on it and pressing hard helped a little. I kept the pressure on. In my case, my right leg is totally unable to maintain any weight on it. I don't know what's broken. I just know something is broken. But I'm trusting Jesus. He's my healer. The poor chair was completely smashed. And I just lay there among the bits and pieces for some time. I don't know how long it was. When I regained my senses, the building was spinning around at a tremendous rate and I felt very sick. I tried to get up, but I ended up falling back on the floor. I tried to pray. I could hardly do that. Finally, I did feel a little better and with the aid of three other chairs, I pulled myself to my feet the pain in my side had me gasping in agony i wondered what in the world was the matter i found that putting my hand on it and pressing hard helped a little so i kept the pressure there i even preached that night with my hand pressed against my side i didn't tell anyone what had happened or or how the chair had gotten smashed the following morning i found myself in real difficulty I'd rigged up a way to keep the weight of the covers off me during the night by propping a machine cover up at my side. I spent the night praying, getting some relief, and sleeping briefly. But at any move, I would awaken feeling as though a thousand needles were pushing into my side. Then I would pray and get some relief and doze off again. What a nightmare. Brother Allen heard of my fall and came to see me that first day. He worked only five blocks away and had meals sent to my room so he could be at my side as much as possible. At night he slept in my bed as I was now down on the floor for firmer support. No longer able to abide the bed. He would get up and go to work every morning. Brother Bevington He finally said, I know that God healed me, but this seems to be a very different case. There's surely something terribly wrong with your ribs. You must have a doctor. No, no, no doctor for me, I replied. But by the fourth day, it seemed to be impressed upon my mind to go see a doctor. Lord, I don't want to see a doctor. Thou art my healer. I stuck it out another day finally decided to go to a doctor. I would not anything to eat all day or during this entire time. I couldn't eat a thing or even swallow water without being thrown into great spasms of pain. I pulled myself up with the aid of two chairs, holding my side, using a stick for a cane. I ventured out, to search for a doctor. After hobbling three blocks, I saw a medical sign and went in. I stood against the wall near the door. The doctor entered to call his next patient and urged me to take a seat. I knew I would have a terrible time getting back up, so I remained standing. But his southern hospitality would not permit him to let me stand, so he kept insisting that I sit down. Finally, to appease him, I did and suffered for doing so. I sat there for 40 minutes, waiting my turn. Finally, he motioned for me to come in. Doctor, I don't think I can get up alone. Three men came to my aid and assisted me inside. Well, said the doctor jovially, you seem to be somewhat crippled up. He put his hand on my side and I was not prepared for that act. I hollered out loud and almost fainted from the pain. The doctor reconsidered his approach. Perhaps this is something quite serious. I'll give you something for pain so I can examine you. No, doctor. Nothing of that kind, please. Just go ahead and make your examination. He poked gently at my side and then he looked at my face to see how I would respond. He said, I need to give you pain medication. I refused the medication again. What happened? Did some mule kick you? No, was all I said. I didn't want to tell him what was wrong. I wanted him to find out what was wrong. What's your profession? I'm a holiness evangelist, I replied. Do you live around here? No, I'm from Kentucky. Oh, you're from up north then. Were you holding some meetings there? Yes, I replied, wishing he'd quit asking questions and start giving me some answers. Whereabouts, he asked. Well, I started first in the Wilcox Mission. With that, he stopped and looked at me most critically. Are you the man from up north that saved old Tom and Liz? No, I never saved anyone, I replied. He eyed me with suspicion. Well, I heard that story pretty straight from a friend of mine. What's your name? I told him, and he repeated it slowly, and then he said, That that sounds like the name to me. You must be the one he told me about. No, you're mistaken. I got it pretty straight, and it was in the newspapers too. Your name sounds right. Didn't you hold a meeting in the Wilcox mission? Yes, I finally admitted. Then he explained to me that... Then I explained to him that I had not saved Tom and Liz. It was Jesus who saved them. Well... Well, you you are a pretty, you're that person, you're that man. You fasted and prayed and stuck to them until you got them saved. And you got them remarried. I hear they're both doing quite well. Yes, I guess they are, I replied. Well, how much money do you have? I'd like to take an x-ray. I knew they charged $10 for that in Cincinnati. So I quickly said, I'm not able to have an x-ray. Still, I felt that somehow an x-ray was exactly why God had wanted me to come here. I was unsure what to do except to wait for God to move. Finally, the doctor said, I have to put a a silver dollar each time I use this x-ray machine. Because it's not mine, I've rented it. Do you have one dollar? I knew I didn't have a dollar, so I bowed my head and waited for a moment, and then I said, I have a friend who will give you a dollar. So if you will go ahead and do it, I'll have the x ray. He positioned me and slipped in one of his dollars. Upon one look of the x-ray, the doctor exclaimed, My good man, you're all torn to pieces inside. I don't see how you've lived these six days in this condition. Your first rib is separated three-fourths of an inch, the second one half an inch, the third one a quarter of an inch. There's a piece of bone about the size of a horseshoe nail from your first rib laying across the other ribs. This is what is causing you so much pain. He shook his head in amazement. I can't do anything for you here, but I have a cousin in Nashville who's in charge of the finest hospital in Tennessee. He and I were talking over the phone the other day about Tom and Liz. He said he really wanted to meet that northern fellow, and I'm sure I can get you in there real cheap. Originally... it it would cost you $500 ordinarily and take about seven months of surgery and recovery. But tomorrow, I'll see if I can do something for you. I went back to my room saying, $500 and seven months, Lord, you can do better than that. I went into the room and resumed my position on the floor. Every moment caused me great suffering. But I believed I would soon get the victory. The floor was getting harder and harder. Night came and so did Brother Allen. I told him what I had done and where I'd been. He said, what doctor did you go to? I told him the name. Oh, he's a dear friend of mine, a saved man. He's the one who who bought the baby organ for me to play at the jail and on the streets. He does all the doctoring at the foundry where I work. Everyone recognizes him as a Christian. He always gets down on his knees and prays at the foundry before examining patients. I see him as I pass by his office every day. Brother Allen gave the doctor a dollar for me the next morning. And the dear doctor worked faithfully all that day for me. That night when Brother Allen came in, he was covered with perspiration after having run three blocks to break the wonderful news to me. I just stopped in at the doctor's office to see what he'd been able to do. Everything is planned out. There will be a stretcher with four men here at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. They will bear you to the depot where a special train has been chartered to take you to Nashville. You will be cared for at the remarkably low price of just what the material for the artificial rib will cost. It won't be more than $80. All the work, the care, the board will all be donated. You're going to have nearly 700 dollars worth of medical help donated to you. That doctor is such a good man. Brother Allen, I said that is a, a great favor. indeed, and I don't feel and I do feel thankful for what the doctor has done, but I cannot go to the hospital. What? You won't go to the hospital. I can't. I felt helpless to explain. Brother Bevington, you must remember that you are not in the north now. You are in the south, where gangrene springs up in a case such as you have and spreads so rapidly it risks infecting the entire city. The Board of Health will have to interfere and you'll be sent to the pest house. I will never endure seeing you sent to that place. Didn't the Lord heal you down here in this very city? I said. Yes, but your condition is altogether different. You're older than I am? I didn't have any ailments that would cause gangrene. Perhaps not, but is God circumcised circumscribed to conditions of a place? Is God's power and condition is God's power conditional? Must all of those earthly facts be analyzed before God can operate? I questioned him most firmly. Still, he tried to reason with me. Brother, you must exercise judgment here. You are not dealing with northerners. You're dealing with hot-headed southerners. So according to what you just said, you believe God's power is limited to place and people. You may believe that, Brother Allen, but you'll never make Bevington believe that. I will not, under any circumstances, go to that hospital. I cannot turn my back on my heavenly doctor. Never. He's ne- He has done too much for me. He will not fail me. But you might infect the whole city, which they will not allow for a million dollars, he pleaded. You must have all the officers in town after you and the pest houses where you will land. That will be the result of your refusal and you will not have anyone to blame but yourself. With that, we we retired for the night in complete silence. I want to stop and just say a couple of things to you. I am not a secular humanist. Secular meaning without regard to a God. Humanism meaning that man has the power to make everything happen. That if it's going to be, it's up to me. And I can be motivated and encouraged. I can be supported by other people. And there can be a complete change. I don't believe that for a moment. I am a Christian. Now the problem we're facing in the American church is that the American church has adopted for itself a brand of secular humanism. And it has stolen the passion and the power of the gospel from the church. Let me continue reading. Are you telling me the doctor asked incredulously that he is turning down all that I've done for him? I'm sorry. Yes, that's what he's doing. Off stomped the good doctor with his southern blood dancing in a dangerous beat. After about 10 a.m., three officers showed up. They raked me over the coals. They gave me 24 hours to reconsider my decision, leaving me well-informed as to the pest house. The time limit was up at 11 a.m. I went to praying the best I could. The next day they returned, right on schedule, ready to take me to the pest house. I prevailed upon them to give me until 7 a.m. the following morning. They had a doctor with them who said, Gentlemen, there isn't any sign of gangrene yet. A most remarkable exception. Strangely enough, there's no sign of inflammation either. It's a really clean wound. Grant him his wish. The officers left for the time being. Brother Allen came in expressing great desperation over my obstinacy, especially upon seeing I could still not sit up or lie except in one very limited position. I told him to just keep quiet as I was trying to compose my own feelings. I was getting somewhere as I was weak and nervous, and I'd never been troubled by those feelings in any alarming extent. Brother Allen, who just stood still. And I said, you will see the power of God. I finally told him that I was convinced that God was arranging to give the people there an object lesson they would not soon forget. My suffering seemed to increase, but I held on. I continued to struggle in prayer. Just before dawn the next day, I saw myself actually shrinking down, getting smaller and smaller. I felt a glimmer of a hallelujah, for I knew I was on the Lord's trimming lathe. I was being trimmed down, so I began to softly praise the Lord. I did not dare to exert myself nor did I want for fear of breaking the bond that was being woven around and through me. Neither did I want to awaken brother Allen. I kept quietly saying glory, glory, glory. At each utterance I would see more shavings fly. I knew I was getting the victory. The glories just kept coming out, whether Brother Alan was sleeping nearby or not. They were getting louder and louder. Once I knew it was time for him to get up, I didn't hesitate to open my mouth even more. I was getting excited to realize my efforts were not hurting in the least. I would not taken so long, deep breath in days, and I wanted to so badly. So I tried and rejoiced that it didn't hurt. Brother Allen had now awakened and was staring at me. I raised my right arm in the air. Nothing hurt, and I just shouted as loud as I could, Glory, it's done! As I said those words, I heard the ribs come back together. I jumped to my feet and began pounding on my ribs, frightened by my actions Alan bounded out of bed and grabbed my arm. Brother Alan, I am healed. Brother Bevington, you will kill yourself if you don't stop. No, I'm healed. In spite of his trying to hold me, I kept pounding those ribs, feeling no pain. Brother Alan could not believe me. He actually thought that the suffering, the probability of of not getting healed and the prospect of the pest house, he believed, had so worked on my mind that I'd gone crazy. But it was done. A complete, wonderful work of the supernatural. As I related these words, I can still feel the glory, the same power I felt back then, I rejoice in a Christ who heals. Hallelujah to his dear name. May that name always be magnified as we exalt him above all other agencies and powers. I felt hungry right away, so I went out and had a good early dinner. I'd not eaten but one meal during those eight days of struggle. Then I came back to the room. How different everything looked. I fell on my face on the very spot where I'd been healed and sent forth the contents of my heart. A great landslide came into my soul and I laughed and shouted for about three hours. Finally, calming down and becoming somewhat normal, as I adjusted to the change, I thought I should let the doctor know what had happened. So I went to his office, took a seat and waited for him. When he came to the door, I spoke to him, but he just grunted. He had been insulted, and the old man in him was making a fine display of what he felt on the inside. When it came my turn, he stepped to the door and motioned for the next person, ignoring me. So I jumped up, feeling he could not fail to see the difference in my movements. It had the desired effect. He looked at me in amazement, and he said, What has happened to you? Doctor, I am a healed man. It was readily apparent he did not take much stock in that statement. But the facts were the facts, staring him in the face. He couldn't reason them away as I stood there pounding on my ribs and shouting. The Presbyterian doctor just stood there looking at me with a wild look in his eyes. I didn't care that all the other patients were staring either. He finally said, as he laid his hand on me, Go ahead. I said, pound on my ribs, doctor. He did, and then he dropped his head down on my shoulder and began to weep and tremble until he shook my whole frame too. He reminded me of an aspen leaf in the wind. After weeping for several minutes, he said, We must... We must see there's something in this healing power. I've never seen it like this. You say Jesus did this without any other kind of remedy. Yes, sir. Now here's another doctor. Here's another dollar, sir. For I'd like you to turn the x-ray machine back on. I'll gladly do it. I was very interested in that sliver that was laying across my ribs. I informed him that the sliver would be back in its place. And when he turned on the x-ray machine, he just stood speechless while I laughed. He laid his head on my shoulder again and wept and trembled as he said, There is no splinter to be seen, no trace of it ever having been there. Again the glory fell and I walked the floor. I didn't dare to say too much in that office, so I just paced back and forth. I felt I I actually was flying, for it seemed my feet were not touching the floor. Brother Bevington, I want you to come into our Presbyterian church on Lookout Mountain and give your testimony tomorrow morning. I'll vouch for it. I'll pick you up in my car. that's as far as I'm going to take you today but there are a few things I want to say yes the pain is real the agony is real the healing power of God is real we don't see it much in our day at all we have a few charlatans that pretend they're healing but they're charlatans now I'm not saying everybody who's a healer is a charlatan but most are most are treating it like a business now what I want to say to you is that when you're completely broken your self-confidence is destroyed and your confidence is now found only in Jesus Christ when you know that he is the only healer that without him you will die you learn that there's a battle to be fought And it's a bitter battle. A woman said to my wife, I'd like to move from out west and come and join you at the National Prayer Chapel. And my wife said to her, yes, of course, we would love to have you. But if you're going to come and be a part, You've got to understand you have to be totally given to Jesus Christ. Well, now that's real hard for her because you see, there's a battle that has to be fought. And that battle is with the devil. You know, the first thing the devil came as I was laying on the floor in great pain, he came to me and he said, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're never going to walk again. I rebuked him in the name of Jesus. And I said, now leave me alone. I've got to talk to Jesus about this. And so I began to cry out to the Lord over this issue. I was in so much pain, I couldn't pray very well. It was hard. And then people started saying to me, Pastor, you've got to get to the hospital. You better call 911 and get an ambulance out here and get you to the medical care you're going to need. You've probably broken that leg maybe more than one place. You better go to the hospital. Well, I recognize that that's a statement of a secular humanist. Man can take care of man. Don't worry about it. You need to have relief from this agonizing pain and brokenness. I said, no. What I need is a new heart and a new spirit. What I need is for God to prepare me for revival, that I could accomplish what he's told me to do. And then I began to pray again and people left and and the devil came to fight the cause. He said, they're right. They're reasonable. You better listen to them. Your family needs you. Your children, your grandchildren need you. You better go to the doctor. Oh, Mr. Devil, I've already been to the doctor. I've been to Dr. Jesus, Dr. Rofi. I've been to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and I'm waiting on him now. Well, he's not coming, Mr. Devil said. And you need to be reasonable. You should consider the consequences of falling and breaking the anguish and the pain and not being able to stand on your leg, not being able to get up or get down very easily the agony of turning over on the bed so I could sleep on my back it was the only place I could get any temporary relief you see what's happening is the devil comes and he uses every amount of logic that he can use to tell you why you cannot do what God has called you to do to tell you how insane you are To tell you you're crazy. And frankly, I've had some people say to me, you're crazy. If I were in your place, I'd be at the doctor's. (laughs) I hear you. I hear what you think. I care what you think. But please, me, I tell you, Jesus is not going to change his mind because of what you think or because of what I think. This dear woman who who wants to move here, she knows that God is calling her to move to the National Prayer Chapel. She knows that. But the devil came and told her that'd be a stupid thing to do. You'd lose your family. People would look at you and say, you're out of your mind. You're single. You can be a Christian right here. And she said, you know, I think you're right. I think I'd be much more comfortable right here. At my age, I don't need a big change. Yes, you're right. Mr. Devil, I'll stay right here. That's wisdom. No, that's not wisdom. (laughs) When God calls us to do something or to go someplace and we insert our secular humanism into that decision, into that action, we have betrayed Jesus Christ. We belong to Jesus. He bought us. Do you walk in the secular humanism of our day with a little spray paint of Jesus over your life? Or have you utterly and completely given yourself over to Jesus Christ? How am I going to survive what I'm going through? By looking to Jesus. By trusting his every action by not walking in any sin before a holy God, turning aside from every temptation and asking Jesus to finish the work by his precious blood, to reduce me in size, to put me on that lathe and trim me down. I'm too big. I'm too important. And I'm not big or important at all, but in my mind... I want to do what's enjoyable. I want to be loved and respected by people who will not think I'm crazy to go to a hospital. Okay. I'm broken. But I want the breaking to first and foremost be the breaking of my spirit of all self Confidence. I want my entire mind, body, and soul to belong to Jesus. I'm glad you've listened today. I know that there is no rescuing of the lost and the dying if the Holy Spirit does not come and do that work in your heart. It's by the blood of Jesus. It's by his mighty healing power. I read this to you again. Ephesians, the second chapter. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, making us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness To us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I ask you, pray for me to be made holy in every aspect of my heart. I turn away from all secular humanism. I turn aside from everything that denigrates Jesus and his blood. I'm not looking for good times. I'm looking for Jesus' times, for holy times. Yes, my cell phone is smashed. My eyeglasses are broken. As you can see, There's no lens. I want Jesus. I worship him. He is the almighty, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I love Jesus. I don't want to be a half-baked Christian. I don't want to be a Christian that walks in secular humanism. I remember that preacher who used to say, if it's going to be, it's up to me. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Remember Robert Shuler? He was a liar. There was no truth in him. There was no truth in him. I'm not looking for self-esteem. I'm looking for self-breaking. very grateful to you today for your love and your concern. I praise the name of Jesus. I know I will be healed, but my first concern is to be healed in my spirit, in righteousness, and holiness. To be passionately loved by Jesus, to be filled by his Holy Spirit, That's what I want. And after all of that, if he has time, I'd like him to touch my body with healing and and restoration. Oh, my brother, my sister, I love you. I want you to be one who walks with me in the heavenly realms. And I want to thank each of you who's been giving so kindly to keep this broadcast on the air. And I'm going to walk with you day by day. Please don't be upset with that. But I'm going to walk. You're going to see the changes that occur. You're going to see the pain and the anguish on my face. I said to my wife after the broadcast yesterday and to Brother Ed, are people going to be offended by seeing the immense pain in my face? They said, it doesn't matter. Say what Jesus tells you to say. I'm going to. Let's pray. Lord, I'm not going to turn to the left or to the right. I'm going to go charging straight ahead. I'm going to praise and honor and worship you, Jesus. You are my Almighty, my King of Kings, and my Lord of Lords. And you have broken me. And for that I praise you and worship you, Jesus. Thank you for casting me down and breaking me that I could finally see the self-confidence shattered in my life. Lord, I I want every, every ounce of self-confidence totally shattered in my life. Do whatever is necessary in my heart to prepare me for the revival that you've promised me you will send. Lord, I pray that you will do the same for every person who's listening right now. Bless them as they give and bless them as they are broken before you and they lose their self-confidence and a great confidence in your blood rises in their spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Many of you need to come on Sunday to the National Prayer Chapel. Why do I say you need to come? Because you are desperately afflicted with secular humanism and with pride. And you need to pay whatever price you have to pay to be with people who are believing and doing as I'm believing and doing. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.